In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. I'm here with my co-host, Ian Wright, 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 and I'm here with one of my favorite guests, Scott Pentrack. Scott, where in the world are you, buddy? Hey, I'm Olmsted Falls, Ohio, um, about five minutes away from the Browns facility. Uh, that's my home, and I've been inside it just about every second since, I want to say, March 14th. Wow. So uh, you're so close to the Browns, you can smell them. But you definitely can't see him or uh, touch him at the moment, hey? No, you're right. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't even think I've driven. Uh, you know, I've, I've driven kind of close. I've taken some food to my mom's. Um, so I've seen the facility. But, you know, everybody, uh, everybody's just spread out. There's nobody in the facility anymore. And obviously we're going to see that next weekend when everybody's drafting from their own houses. Yeah, this is going to be absolutely crazy. And I, th- I don't think, if I'm correct, Scott, Ian, that uh, we've ever seen this before um, in our lifetime that uh, the draft has been in this way. Uh, Ian, do you, know, or do you know any history of this at all, being aff- the draft being affected? Well, way back in the day, obviously, depending on your lifetime, uh, the draft wasn't the event that it is now. So they did things a little bit differently, obviously not in a virtual setting, like we're drafting a fantasy football team. Um, but you know, people would call into rooms and they'd say, Hey, who took here? And they would do, um, kind of picks that way. I saw actually a pretty good documentary once with Gil Brandt kind of talking about the early days of the draft. So for all the people out there who want to see how the draft used to be, probably be a pretty cool thing to check out. Yeah. And Scott, have you ever seen anything like this before? No, uh, you know, I mean, Ian's right. If you go back to, you know, if you look at the 30 for 30, about the 1983 draft class, I mean, it's really basic where there's you know there's one or two people from every team in a room um you know tv production is really basic there's a couple of guys sitting there talking the commissioners reading off names so it's nothing like we're used to seeing but even back then you could go wherever you wanted to go you know you could talk to i'm sure at the time the gms and all their scouts were in the team facilities and they were calling in the picks so the biggest difference is instead of everybody being in the building and the big guys, right, the top decision makers inside the draft rooms, right? And I've been inside the draft room after the draft, and you have all your – it's every player that's available. There, you know, there's little cards with their name and their stats, their key stats, and they're all on the wall. And there's a big TV. You can call them film and all those things. Instead of having that, instead of having – the GM, the coach, and the owner in that room, they're, they're spread across the country. I mean, Paul DePodesta is in California. Kevin Stefanski is in Minnesota, and Andrew Berry is in Cleveland. And those are your, arguably your top three – or are your top three decision makers in this new Browns regime. So that's what's going to be so different about it. And then who knows if there's technological issues that could pop up. Will it be harder to trade because – it'll be more difficult to get multiple teams on the phone at the same time because your guys are spread out, their guys are spread out. Um, 
you know, that's the kind of thing we'll have to deal with next week because it really, it, it's unprecedented. Yeah, Scott, I would almost think that the NFL has to do their little mock NFL draft this week just to make sure they get those bugs worked out. Because Andrew Barry had mentioned on your guys' call last week that they were going to have a dedicated phone line for trades and they're going to have, you know, all of these individual hard lines installed. It's kind of wild. But I guess my question is, is a league with the NFL resource or, you know, a league like the NFL that has that level of resources, could we really not get say Andrew Barry, Kevin Stefanski, John, uh, or Paul DePodesta all tested, and then they're in a room together. Like, I feel like we could have found a way, even if the draft room was Andrew Barry's basement, how we couldn't have gotten a small number of people across the league together in a room. Like that just to me seems like with the money the NFL has, they couldn't figure out a way to do that. Well, I'm, I'm sure that they could have. I, I think the decision was made to, to kind of, to keep with, the countrywide restrictions and therefore if if normal people aren't allowed to go to their places of business and if new york is shut down then they're not going to have roger goodell go into the office or fly to la or go to bristol to do the show he's going to do it in his basement and i think i think it's more for kind of more for looks, the fact that they're not letting people back in their buildings. And they're trying to also be fair across the league because some states are locked down tight and it would be illegal or frowned upon for certain teams to go ahead and show up in their buildings, I think like the Jets and the Giants in New Jersey. Um, But you're absolutely right. They could figure out a way to get five guys inside Browns headquarters and social distance. That wouldn't be an issue. Um, I just think with the way the world is going and the country is going, they felt like that would be insensitive to do that. Yeah, I just I, – when I heard about this, this situation, I was like, I feel like they could have come up with something. Even, like, to your point, to maintain each state's rules where you have a smaller number of people. And obviously, if, you know, the Utah Jazz got their entire team tested in less than 24 hours – you know, a month ago, I feel like we could get a couple NFL people for every team tested in their room, you know, kind of similar to what they're talking about next month. But that's just more the conspiracy theory. I do. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. I do think that the Browns will be in an advantage having, you know, a younger Andrew Barry, a younger uh, Kevin Stefanski and somebody like Paul DePodesta, who's able to plan for this type of stuff that gives them a benefit versus the other 31 teams. So, do you think that, that that benefit exists, or what are your thoughts on that? I do. Um, I'm not sure how great the benefit is because, you know, the NFL is a billion-dollar business, and every team's got a big-time IT department and have had enough time to figure, figure it out. But I, to me, and, and maybe this is personal bias because I'm not a big technology guy, I, I, it would throw me for a bit of a loop. And I'm sure I could figure it out, and I'm sure with practice and with mock drafts, I'd be comfortable. But in the back of my mind would be, you know, what if this, what if part of the system breaks down? Or what if, you know, you're on a group chat and you're typing and texting and you spell a name wrong and somehow that gets screwed up? Or you hear, you're trying to do a trade and the connection's not great. So you kind of hear the terms of the trade wrong. Like I, I just, we've seen enough things that go wrong in drafts when everything's normal. And then you throw in all these other circumstances and people across the country and Paul DePodesta will probably have five different like chats going at the same time. I just think it opens up 
the possibility of mistakes. And I would be worried about that. But I think, like you mentioned, DePodesta and Stefanski and Barry are all young, all Ivy League educated. Barry's got his master's in computer science from Harvard. Like, I, I really think this is something that's not going to phase them at all. And they feel like maybe they have a little bit of advantage in the nuts and bolts of it. Now, the reality is you still have to pick the right players. And that's always going to be the biggest concern. But I don't think they're going to – I don't think there will be any adverse effects for the Browns in the fact that they have to do this virtual draft. I've got to say one thing is, though, guys, it's like being doing your own draft. You know, the clock's ticking down. You're in a room on your own. The pressure's getting hotter. You know, I think, I think everyone's going to be cool enough to uh, deal with the pressure. I personally think so. Well, that is Paul DePodesta's job. I mean, his job as a chief, strate- you know, chief strategy officer is to spend the long, hard nights trying to figure out a way to make sure they are prepared for all the different scenarios. You know, like Scott said, if somebody spells a name wrong, you know, do they add code words to certain players? I mean, you know, he, this is what Paul does. He is the guru, the master at this type of strategy. So, you know, I feel like Paul in the baseball draft would have, would be able to draw from his expertise there. You know, you're talking about something that's so many more rounds and so more spread out than the NFL draft is, you know, I just think that this will give Paul DePodesta a chance to really kind of shine. Yeah. Ian, what I was thinking was one, one idea could be simply just um, doing mock drafts constantly looking at every situation. So the Browns, if it all did go down, then you have, you've already agreed before the uh, draft, the situation, you know, like every single scenario has been played out. I think that'd be a great question for Scott. You know, you've seen the draft room. So was there anything in there where you've seen in the past, you know, mock draft type scenarios? Um, No, by the time we get in there, they kind of, they button it up enough that they're not giving super secrets away. But I know that, I don't know that teams go through their own mock drafts in the past, but that's to get a feel for how they think the picks in front of them are going to go and who might be available when they're drafting. The mock drafts here that the league's going to do, or the, the mock drafts that the league is going to do, are to make sure technology-wise there's a flow to it. And when they go to do it on TV a week from now, that there aren't any huge hiccups. So uh, there's a difference there because in the past you know how it works, right? Maybe you have an issue with, okay, if we're trying to make a trade on the clock, how do we guarantee it goes through? And that's still an issue now, but there's a bunch of other layers to it. Um, you know, we talked to Paul DePodesta today on the conference call. You know, he said he's got an official draft phone, which I'm guessing means a landline that's going to be hooked into one NFL conference call. He said he has a backup. He's got a bunch of screens and a backup generator and backup internet. So, I mean, those are the kind of contingencies that teams are having to put in place to make sure. I mean, this is obviously it's a huge night. We all know how important the draft is to the NFL and the NFL teams. And they're trying to make sure everything's done so that it still goes off fine. I mean, I know I saw that the Falcons GM, Thomas Dimitrov, is going to have a Falcons IT guy in his basement. And they're trying to practice social distancing. So he's going to come in and out without seeing him and only be there in case there's a disaster. And I'm sure other teams are having the same ideas and the same plans 
just to make sure there's not a huge meltdown. Well, that would make sense. But my question now is, are you going to have your own IT guy on draft day? Is, you know, the Chronicle and the Medina Telehug, <laughs> is that going to set up Scott and say, all right, guys, you know, this is what's going to happen. This is the scenario. Because let's be honest, I mean, this is a unique time. So how are you going to handle, you know, this type of, this type of draft? I mean, are you guys just sitting at home? Like, what is, take us through the life of a Browns media member and uh, what you're kind of expecting over the next week. Yeah, that's interesting. I will not have an IT guy here. I tell you what, though, my wife is pretty handy. Um, she's a engineer. She's got an engineering degree and deals with this kind of stuff. So that's a big, that's a big help for me because I would not have any idea if something went wrong, how to fix it. But just from a covering perspective, you know, usually we're in Berea. We're in the media room. After a pick is made, they bring down the coach or GM or both. Um, we get the draft pick on a conference call. And it gets real hectic, you know, especially if there's multiple picks in a round or when you get to Saturday and, or Friday and Saturday. You know, you're still watching the rest of the picks on TV, but once the Browns do something, you get distracted, and then that's your main focus. Well, it won't be completely different for us this time, except, you know, I'll be by myself as opposed to being in the room with everybody else. We're going to have to – I think we're going to do Zoom. Uh, it hasn't been finalized yet. But that's how we'll do the conversations with whether it's Andrew Barry or Kevin Stefanski or Paul Lee Podesta or whoever it is. I'm assuming we're going to get the players on a call or on Zoom with the draft picks. It's just going to be different. And then, you know, you have to have – I mean, I'll have Twitter on my phone. I'll have my – I'll be writing. I'll probably have somebody from the paper helping me, but they'll be at their house. So we'll have to be in communication. It's just going to feel – I think it'll feel more pressure because the deadline doesn't change, right? It's still a primetime draft and the Browns will be picking it I mean who knows they might pick it 10 o'clock at night and then you're trying to turn it around and what if they trade down then all of a sudden deadlines in jeopardy so those things are the same as it would be in a normal year except I'll be either sequestered and I haven't figured out yet if I'll be sequestered in my bedroom or my basement because I can't monopolize the tv in the living room for uh, three straight days you're gonna have to do some honeydew favors so you can get that television so, but I think that's a great segue because we, we don't know what time the Browns are going to be picking. So the Browns have the 10th pick, which realistically, you know, the draft starts at eight Eastern. Am I correct? Yeah. So that would put them on the clock somewhere in that, what, nine thirty ish range. Uh, do we think they're going to pick at 10 or, you know, obviously we had a lot of rumors out there today, you know, with, you know, Denver and Atlanta and Tampa Bay, and there's a lot of teams out there. So what are your thoughts, Scott? We had the draft coming up. So. You know, what are you hearing? What's the buzz in, uh, in Ohio? Yeah, I mean, I think all the rumors you hear about Atlanta looking to trade up and Denver and maybe even Tampa Bay, which are then 16, 15, 14. I think it only makes sense to put the Browns in that conversation as being a trade partner. Because we, know, we saw what Sashi Brown did when he was in charge. And I know Andrew Barry's his own man but he was part of that regime. Paulie Podesta was a huge part of that regime. And the fact is, analytics tell you you're better off acquiring extra picks. And I don't even, I don't argue with that. I think you are because the draft is such a crapshoot. So I would not be surprised at all if the Browns traded it down. Um, I didn't have him trading in my first mock draft. I'm still debating what I'm going to do for my final one, but I'm leaning toward a trade down because I feel like, there are enough left tackle options that they can move down and still get one 
or move down and trade up from 41 and get a left tackle at the bottom of the first round. So I think I, I would probably lean right now toward they make a trade. And let's just say 15 is – so that's Denver at 15. You're adding another 50 minutes before the Browns picks, and now you're getting a lot closer to 11 o'clock at night. Scott, if we uh, trade back, who do you see the Browns taking? Well, you know, I think it's still a left tackle. Now, it's a matter of which left tackles are gone, right? Are the top four gone? And then the Browns are choosing between Houston's Josh Jones and Boise State's Ezra Cleveland and maybe USC's Austin Jackson. Is one of the top guys left? Did, you know, Wills or Thomas slide? So then you could take him. You know, after talking to Deep Destin, he was really, you know, he kept saying, we're not – it's best player available, not so much need, and you got to be careful about drafting to fill needs. And I think that's the right thing to say. However, it just feels like this draft is set up for the Browns to take a left tackle, whether at 10 or whether they trade down. So I, I guess I would think they trade down. I would think the four top guys are off the board, and then it becomes Josh Jones or Ezra Cleveland. And right now I would lean toward Josh Jones. Scott, if all four tackles, the main key ones, have gone by the 10th pick and uh, Simmons is still there, do you think the Browns will take him? That's a great question. At number 10, I, I think that's, to me, that's the only alternative to left tackle. I, I don't think there's another, like, I don't think they're going to take a receiver. I'd be stunned if they took a receiver, right? Um, I don't think there's a defensive end that is worth that number 10 pick even though I think it's a position of need and it's a position where you want to get a guy in the top 10 because Chase Young will be gone. Um, corner, you know, I, um, Okuda won't be there. The Browns have Ward and Williams. It just feels like if it's not a left tackle, Simmons is really the only other option, in my opinion. Maybe you could convince me to take a D tackle, but you got Richardson and Ogie Joby and you just signed Billings. You know, again, we're talking need versus best player. Um, so, in answer to your question, Simmons is the one guy, and I do think the Browns would be tempted. And I could envision a scenario where they took Simmons at 10. I don't think he'll be there. But if he were there, they took him at 10, and then they figured out a way to address left tackle, whether it's trading up from 41 to get one of those guys. Um, then do you make an offer to Jason Peters? Then you increase your offer to, the, to Washington to get Trent Williams because maybe you figure that Simmons is such a difference maker that you take him there, especially, like you mentioned, if the tackles you love most are gone. Yeah, I think you make some great points there, Scott. And I do think, like you said, I think Simmons is the one guy that you're just like, okay. And I think Joe Woods would be calling him on whatever landline he has. Like, yes, please, please, please. Give me, give me that guy. But – you know, there's, there's a lot of talk now going on about these tackles. And, you know, whether you listen to Joe Thomas or Daniel Jeremiah or Matt Miller, you have, you know, all of these notable celebrity scouts and former players. And it just doesn't seem like there's a consensus on the four tackles. And, you know, the one thing I have confidence that Paul DePodesta and Andrew Bear are going to do is they're going to look at the resource in their room and say, you know, Mr. Offensive Line Coach Bill Callahan, who do you want? 
And I just think that if you're going to trade back, which is I'm at this point about 75% sure they're going to trade back. You look at Bill Callahan and say, who do you want? Who do you want to mold? Who's your guy? And by doing that, you're right. The Josh Joneses, the Ezra Clevelands, the Austin Jacksons. I think somebody with the, you know, the, the astute offensive line, you know, cliche that uh, Callahan has can sit there and say, not only can we get more picks, but that's the guy I want. That's the guy I can groom. So I think having that type of uh, offensive line coach really gives the Browns ample flexibility to move away from that 10 pick. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I, I think the Callahan issue is important. Um, the Callahan factor is important. I think especially if you're talking about moving one of the right tackles to the left side, whether it's Wills or Wirfs, does he think they can do it? You probably feel more comfortable about trusting the player to do it if you have Callahan teaching them and coaching them. Now, I will say the rookies might not show up. Let's, let's assume training camp's normal. It might not be till July when these rookies get to work on the field with Callahan, and that'll be difficult if you're trying to ask a guy to move from right tackle to left tackle and then start week one in the NFL. So I think that's – I don't know if that's a consideration on who you pick or not. I think it's a consideration on how you approach getting ready for the season. So yeah, I think that's – I do think that's a big factor. And if you have a guy that you consider more of a project, maybe like a Ezra Cleveland or an Austin Jackson, you say, yeah, but we have Callahan and we can get him up to speed. Or whether it's this year or next year, he, he, you trust that he can get him to reach his full potential. Let me say one more thing about Simmons real quick. I do have a question about – I know he's the hybrid guy, and I know he can play safety. But if you're projecting him as a linebacker, I'm not sure the Browns believe linebacker is important enough to spend the number 10 pick on the draft. I didn't get a chance to ask Steve Podesta that today. I'm not sure he would answer me anyway. But the fact that they wouldn't pay Joe Schobert, the fact that right now they don't have any – high-priced guys or high-draft-pick guys on the roster. I mean, Taki Taki is the highest-profile guy, and he was a third-round pick of a different regime. It makes me wonder if they would give up – if they would spend such a such a high-value pick on a position that I'm not sure they value, like secondary and like D-line and like offensive line and even receiver. Yeah, I've been I've been kind of pounding the table and, you know, I'm not saying it's the number one draft need, but the biggest hole right now, I think, is at that linebacking core. You know, you've got three guys in Goodson, Mack, and Taki Taki who just have not proved anything. I almost wonder if they kind of have a Nigel Bradham or somebody like that in the hole. And then adding a player like Simmons kind of gives you that hybrid Sam linebacker cover safety. I'd be curious to go back and see what Joe Woods is doing. You know, you've obviously had the chance to, you know, to talk to Joe and talk to Kevin and Andrew. So, you know, what were your, I know you knew Andrew from before, but like, what, what kind of vibe do they give? Like, does it, on the outside looking in, we see this like team first, everybody works together, but being inside the building, like what's the vibe you get from Kevin and Andrew and all these guys? Like, what does that feel like? Yeah, I, I do think that they get along. And I think there's a, I, I believe that they the intention is to be way more collaborative than previous regimes. I think the Haslam's learned from their mistake. Well, hopefully they learned from their mistakes. I know they recognize their mistakes and they recognize the friction between, you know, Hugh Jackson and Sashi Brown that developed and even Hugh and John Dorsey. And then John Dorsey's personnel department and the analytics department, the friction there. So, and we can go back, you know, I mean, I can go regime after regime where the friction was and how it broke down and, you know, how it, 
just how, how everything's evolved, right? And there's always issues and there's always controversy and pandemonium. And I'm looking for a word that's not escaping me right now. The halls um, of Berea, if they could only talk. Right, well, yeah, exactly. So I, I do think there's, I, I do think there's a concerted effort. I, I trust the Kevin Stefanski, Andrew Barry relationship is legitimate. Andrew Barry is a likable guy. And I think he has the chance to unite um, that building. I'm not sure, you know, he doesn't have a commanding personality necessarily, but I think he's a guy that gets along with a lot of different groups and that can work as well. But again, you know, it comes down to much more than that. I think it's as much as they deny it. I, I think not being in the building together is the setback. And I think it's a setback for new regimes and first year coaching staff. And maybe they can overcome it. And, you know, maybe in November, we're not even going to be thinking about that. But right now, it feels like a significant hurdle for this team, for this organization to overcome. Scott, uh, what other articles you got coming out at the moment? It seems like you're unleashing lots of articles. Anything <laughs> coming up in the next couple of days? Yeah, well, when I hang on from you guys, I'm going to go finish a couple of Paul DePodesta stories. He talks about um, trading up or trading down. Um, talks about how the OBJ report was completely false and touches on a bunch of things. So I'll hopefully I'll get that done tonight. And then I'm still working on draft features. Like I talked to Josh Jones's college coach. So I'm working on that story. I'm breaking down each position. You know, what's the Browns needs? Who are my favorite players in the draft at each position? I posted the offense today. I'm getting, I'm starting on the defense tonight. And then I still have, like, I talked to Ezra Cleveland's coach. Um, so I still, I'll still have draft features kind of leading up to the draft with a draft preview in my final mock, you know, all within, right, all within the next five, six days. Scott, last question from me. If we do take a tackle in the first round, what position do you think we take in the second? I'm going to go safety. And I, I, part of me feels bad because I focus on the need, but, a lot of teams do that too, because frankly, if you just rank the players, like that's a separator, right? Is need. You're not going to, you can't have six running backs sitting there if you're the Browns from 35 to 41, because there's no way you're taking a quarter or a running back there. And the same would go for quarterback. And the same would go for interior linemen. Like if, if you're super deep in a position, it makes no sense to add a high draft pick there. And I think that limits the positions you can address. So if you get your left tackle, then I'm looking at safety. I'm looking at linebacker and I'm looking at defensive end. Those are really, to me, the only three spots that I would think about with that second round pick. Well, Scott, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. It's been a while, but thank you very much for the update. And I really hope you have a successful draft night with the technology difficulties. I appreciate it. Thanks, fellas. And stay safe. Yeah, let's Thanks hope that... And, Paul, there's a little update. The governor of Ohio said we may start opening up May 1st. So, uh, Scott may be making that five-minute drive to Berea here in, you know, maybe a little, over, a little less than a month. So, let's hope for that. We're locked down in London for three more weeks. So, uh, all right, Scott, thank you so much. We'll keep retweeting your articles. And uh, please don't stop doing all the good work you're doing. I appreciate it, Paul. Thanks, Luke. You take care, Scott. Together. It holds us together. It connects generations, players, past, 
and present.